Would your charming companion be so kind as to kneel? My neck is beginning to hurt. Kneel, Hodor. Do you like to ride, Bran? Yes. Well, I mean, I did like to. The boy has lost the use of his legs. What of it? With the right horse and saddle, even a cripple can ride. I'm not a cripple. Then I'm not a dwarf. My father will rejoice to hear it. I have a gift for you. Give that to your saddler. He'll provide the rest. You must shape the horse to the rider. Start with a yearling and teach it to respond to the reins and to the boy's voice. Will I really be able to ride? You will. On horseback, you'll be as tall as any of them. Is this some kind of trick? Why do you want to help him? I have a tender spot in my heart for cripples, bastards, and broken things. <laughs> Is it Quran? The ship. Probably. It's just called The Ship, TM. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Where we bring you the pronunciation guide we did check before pressing record on today's episode hannah says that there is not a pronunciation guide for the ship Tyrion is sailing on kind of a little bit surprised by that but i guess i shouldn't be it's spelled s-e-l-a-e-s-o-r-i in italics and the second word is q-h-o-r-a-n sorry if this isn't a fun way to start the podcast this is actually kind of confusing It's Usually, I piece. can kind of guess where George is headed with these, but this one, I'm just. Uh, well, there's a root I think that we, or a suffix we don't understand. We need to give David a call. Yeah. Seven Although, days for going, please. Well, I'm just saying I don't want to get into this yet because this is us diving like into the middle of the episode. There are theories about the name of this ship name and what, what it means. Tell me that originally, because I wanted it to be a surprise. <laughs> 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 because I was trying to pronounce it. I was trying to pronounce it. Just in and of itself, but that's right. why we have to figure out how that to makes say sense. it because we have to talk about it. I wondered why you brought that up before we started. I know that it's around the beginning of the first of our two Lannister brother chapters today, but it's not. You don't normally pick a word from the chapter and say, "Hey, how do you say this?" <laughs> just in case. Gearing up for my theories. No, it's my first note that I took for the Tyrion chapter because I like to know where we are. I feel like we can get lost with where Tyrion is at this point. We were a little lost at the beginning of this episode. We were wondering, or before we started recording, we were wondering, when was our last Tyrion chapter? We remembered that we recorded it with our friend, poor Quentin, but we didn't remember the time. It feels like it was like seven years ago, but it was only back in November. Yeah, it felt like 100 years ago. But now we have what George R. R. Martin didn't intend, Tyrion and Jamie back-to-back in A Feast with Dragons. I thought that both of these chapters were very much exploratory chapters for who these characters are in the midst of lots of other chaos happening, which I guess you could maybe argue for every single character in A Song of Ice and Fire, but I felt like, particularly for the Jamie chapter, and also a lot for the Tyrion chapter, the things that they were realizing about themselves and the things that they were going through didn't really have anything to do with the people that they were surrounded with. Like almost they might have learned those lessons from anything that was happening at this point in their life. Mm-hmm. They would have kind of like rationalized everything and sort of made sense. Kind of like grown up a little bit. And put everything in this place. Yeah. They're both very long, but they're both packed with lots of interesting conversations. You said the Jamie one had a lot of gossip. Didn't you feel like that? Yeah. I felt I like the whole chapter was gossip. Toward that tail end with Ginna Lannister, I was like, did you pronounce it Jenna or Ginna? Uh, this again. Or Janae. <laughs> I don't think that that's right. No, I think it's Genna. Jenna. We can say it all. We'll cover our bases and say it all. So trouble with pronunciations today. 
Benero, Makoro. We're just going to lean right into it. Karth. That's one we know. What do you think about this Tyrion chapter in specific as we kind of dive into it? I feel like there's some big theory stuff and also just some really interesting conversations happening. I wonder if we're almost meant to learn as much about Tyrion as Tyrion is learning about himself. Mm-hmm. I felt like I saw some of the, or, or rather felt some of the time constraints or time changes that wasn't originally planned for, I guess, this part in the series I've heard some of our friends talk about before. <laughs> it's just sort of like the rapid development in a small amount of time over here in the East, particularly for someone like Tyrion. And obviously it was arranged a lot more rapidly in the TV show. But, uh, you know, like there was a passage when the boat was sailing. Let me find it. And this was after the stuff with Penny and Jorah and a few others aboard the ship at first. It was kind of like a transition after we learned who was there and what was going on at this point. It says, life aboard the Sori Koran was nothing if not tedious. Tyrion had found the most exciting part of his day was pricking his toes and fingers with a knife. On the river, there had been wonders to behold, giant turtles, ruined cities, stone men, naked septas. One never knew what might be lurking around the next bend. The days and nights at sea were all the same, leaving Volantis. The cog had sailed within sight of land at first, so Tyrion could gaze at passing headlands, watch clouds of seabirds rise from stony cliffs and crumbling watchtowers, count bare brown islands as they slipped past. He saw many other ships as well, fishing boats lumbering merchantmen proud galleys with their oars lashing the waves into white foams but once they struck out into deeper waters there was only sea and sky and air and water the water looked like water the sky looked like sky sometimes there was a cloud too much blue and then it goes on to describe some of Tyrion's knights and in those descriptions of Tyrion's knights I think are some of those movements some of the things that he's come to terms with and maybe struggling with that he might face down toward the end of the chapter and some of his other conversations. But mm-hmm. I could really feel the passage of time and the changing of land and where I think meant to feel the weight of everything moving along and, and so as to not be sort of shuttered by any kind of progress with what he's thinking or progress with Penny, for example, because she goes from running away from him in this chapter to giggling in his presence. Mm-hmm. And I like what you I like that you read that passage because there's a piece that follows it and I'm looking for it in my notes as well, but it may just be the sentence or two right after where it mentions how um even the people aboard the ship weren't a mystery. Everybody was who they were face value. There was no mystery behind who people were and, and he knew everybody's stories, whereas he had just come off of this opportunity to kind of tease out in his head who everybody was and us too trying to make sense of are people really who they say they are and where have they been and where are they going and what are their motives and his somebody like penny he knows exactly who penny is and he although he hasn't spent much time with somebody who is a dwarf like him he understands kind of why penny is in the situation that penny's in and he knows what jorah wants he wants danny and he knows mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he he doesn't have the opportunity to kind of tease out who everybody is and what their motives are because they're all at face value and i thought that that was a really interesting comment for him to make this is a change of pace for Tyrion as well mm-hmm. do you think that it's more that everyone here is at that level or is just that he's past wondering or caring or maybe having to worry about it as much. And he kind of has seen things for another value after the struggle and Volantis and the kinds of conversations they've had and coming more and more to grips with what he did to his dad. I I really can't tell. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I also think that the people here don't have any need or 
desire to hide anything. You know, you look at, um, man. Makoro? <laughs> yeah. The Red Priest? You look at Makoro, who is exactly who he says he is. I mean, he's a Red Priest, exactly. He's into... That's a total guess on his name, by the way. <laughs> That's how we're going to say it. Or that's how yeah. we're going to say it. Yeah. He is who he is. He's chanting on the deck of the ship. The night is dark and full of terrors. And I don't think anybody here has any motive to hide anything. It's almost like we're moving past that point. Right. Right. Where members of the faith are gaining this power. It's like they they weren't really considered much before. It's touched much in this chapter and also in the chapter following or the one we paired with it uh, talks of the sparrows and what Lancel Lannister is doing. You have uh, an also kind of strange amount of people that for this time in Westeros or Planetos are, um, I guess, strangely considering this red faith because they've been able to see the power that it that it shows. You know what I mean? Like they're What's everywhere. How about Makoro's staff? The one that's as tall as him with the dragon's head or something like that at the top and or something that looks like that. And he he bangs it down. And when he bangs it down against the deck of the ship, it shoots out green flame. I mean, I'll convert if I can get me one of those. Right. Well, yeah. I <laughs> well, that's the deal. He's got a little bit of wildfire, I guess, up in his staff. And maybe like a little candle or something. I think that might be how it works. But either way, he's doing the right thing. He's channeling the right thing. And whether or not he's legit, I think that conversation goes back to how we feel about Melisandre. Then that conversation goes back to the fact that we've seen Shadow Babies. So mm-hmm. it's hard to say. But for, I think it was just over half of the, the guys working on this ship there of the Red Faith. And even though there's a captain of this vessel and the same sorts of, I guess, what you would expect, whatever could be held up by law, some kind of naval code that they have, has all kind of been thrown out the window because the numbers are in the favor of this thing that they follow. And this thing that they follow kind of transcends that small-scale authority structure because it involves both life now and what might happen to them after they die. So they really believe in it. And that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. They hold all the power. So it it goes back to where we were at the end of the last Tyrion chapter before we left Volantis. And we're like, oh, the ship's headed for Carthon. Well, I I don't think it's going to reach its destination. And in this small little area, we, we start to see like the power that's in this sort of benevolent force. And it's tinged with red, so we're already a little bit suspicious of it. But just looming with what's happening with his siblings in the West, it's fascinating because it's the, the same sort of thing is potentially going to come down on them. Right. And Makaro makes two big prophecies in this chapter. I feel like this chapter can be divided into his two things that he says that are very much worth speculation and discussion and then all this stuff that's happening with Penny. And, um, and so whether or not we think that he's quote unquote real or what we think about the red God or what we think about this religion, I think also can tie into a couple things that he says in this chapter. And he comes right out the gate and he and Tyrion are kind of sitting around the fire and having a conversation and Tyrion asks him what he sees in the flames. And I'll read what he says. I love that he did that, by the way. He just kind of like scoots up next to him. Well, he does. Well, and this is something I want to say as well. Uh, I want to read as he's kind of hanging out with him. He says, Tyrion Lannister had no use for any god, but on the ship it was wise wise to show a certain respect for Red Roller. Roller, whatever. I'm going to 
I think most people call him <laughs> Roller, but Melisandre regards him with a little bit more, and she calls him Verlore. Cut it all out. <laughs> <laughs> so he buddies up to him, and he asks him, he, he he's kind of having this internal monologue of, does he see days yet to come as he claims? He thinks, if so, that's a fearsome gift. Is his power that he has, this conversation we've been having all throughout the series and A Dance of Dragons, is this what it is? And so Tyrion says, someone told me that the night is dark and full of terrors. What do you see in those flames? He calls it out. The only yeah. line he knows from the faith. <laughs> he's trying to like find some common ground. I don't know. Also, he's the worst. <laughs> uh, Makoro says dragons. He says in the common tongue of Westeros, dragons old and young, true and false, bright and dark, and you. A small man with a big shadow snarling in the midst of it all. Which is very, very interesting. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, because within these sentences, I feel like we've got big history and big potential foreshadowing. Can you say it again, but slower? The sentence? The prophecy. Yeah. Dragons old and young, true and false. Amen. Bright and dark. Daenerys, true and false. Fagon, Daenerys. And you, a small man with a big shadow, snarling in the midst of it all. That's just Tyrion, right? Yeah, well, we've seen Tyrion be referred to by or as a small man with a big shadow in some way or another in a couple other points in the series. So it's some sort of like looming idea that he has a bigger role to play than even he quite understands for himself. So I feel like that's pretty straightforward. In terms of, because that's something that we, but snarling. that's the piece that I think is very interesting. Um, because I think that there's a fair easy consensus that he obviously has a bigger role to play. And if we're going to take the show into account, which I think that in terms of big sweeping things are safe to do, he's going to be with Daenerys and that's big. So, okay, we can check mark that. Yeah, the snarling thing is something that I think is interesting. Um, I don't know if it Tyrion transforms into a dragon. Well, yeah, I don't know if that references him with dragons or any of that kind of thing. I don't know. But I do, some people think that this may point towards him being a secret Targaryen. That could be interesting. I was going to say, which I hate. I was <laughs> pausing to see what you would say. <laughs> it could be interesting. You really don't want him to be a Targaryen, right? No, I just really don't like that theory. So I'm going to dismiss that. But I know that there's a lot of conversation surrounding that. What if they end up doing that, though, in the final season? Do you think that that might actually happen? Do you think that the stuff with Tyrion hanging at the door points to anything like that or it's completely un unrelated? I mean... I don't know. I think that there's some evidence for it, but this is a conversation we can that ties also into the Jamie chapter when we learn that um, his aunt thinks that Tyrion is more Tywin's son than Jamie is. I've been wanting to bring that up for the past three minutes the whole time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's so poetic to have Tyrion be just like his father, but mm -hmm. be this great man. I feel like yeah. having him become a Targaryen negates a lot of that struggle that he's had growing up with his family, but. Um, you know, how does that come into play with him and dragons and all that kind of stuff? I'm not 100% sure, but I don't, I just feel like him being a secret Targaryen is kind of a cop out. Um, but that's just my own personal feelings. Well, if we're able to connect it at all to what he sort of learned from Penny when she was recounting from her perspective what happened at Joffrey's wedding and the skit of the Five Kings, which we just watched on Rewatch the Throne, by the way, 
and it was ridiculous, but it was very pretty. It was cool to have had just that had what it was cool to have <laughs> just had that episode. <laughs> and it takes a big drink of water. Well, try to say that to have just had had that episode. When had and had go nearby, I either really like it or I feel really weird about it. Yeah, English is weird. Mm-hmm. But it was cool to reference back because we get that a lot in these conversations that Tyrion and Penny have. If he internalizes this level of humility, I guess, I guess the ability to be the one that the joke is played on later on when he's in between all of the the dragons and the madness, the White Walkers, when he's snarling in the midst of it. Let's say if he's snarling in the midst of it, that means he's handed the queen for Daenerys. That puts him pretty well in the middle of stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe instead of being the one to make Joffrey look silly, or I guess in that case, it wouldn't be someone that he really despises truly, maybe despises for a reason or despises for, for what's happening. This could be John, Daenerys, or really anyone. Maybe he, I guess, does the thing that makes it worse for him instead. Maybe that's where he's headed. What do you mean? Like, you know, lets the joke get played on him or yeah. maybe lets himself go into danger instead of someone else because he, he sees what is happening. Mm-hmm. Like he, mm-hmm. he's truly reading the field. Like he maybe should have read the field at Joffrey's wedding instead of making it worse for everyone involved. Uh, the people like that he was saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get what you're saying. He could have just done it and felt silly for a bit and Joffrey would have been happy and would have been over. Right. But he just, he couldn't. And then he's still dealing with, and she dealt with it. Her brother dealt with it. And he's dead. You know, people, a lot of bad things have happened off of that one moment. It's not really fair for Tyrion, right? But at the same time, he also knows it's true. Right. But I think that he had to, that all had to be a catalyst for him to get to where he was going to go. Because if he had just kind of played along, kept his head down, you know, would he be on his way to Daenerys at this point, you know? Right. Do you think that that's something he's going to have to face? Potentially, or was he was just supposed to learn from then, and he's going to apply it in different ways. Like, what do you mean? Like, learning from that situation with Joffrey? Like, is that something that's going to follow him? Is that what you're trying to say? I guess, like, kind of specifically that situation I just described. Like, do you think he's actually going to be put in that scenario? Or that he could be put in that scenario? Uh, I think so. I think if, if, if this prophecy is what it is, if we're going to take it at face value, him being in the midst of it all... You know, I think that that puts him potentially in a lot of interesting situations and potentially dangerous situations. If that's what you're Which is kind of like his asking. dad, right? Mm-hmm. And if, man. Yeah, no, I mean, and we'll get into this a little bit when we talk about Jamie, but in terms of what Tywin would do, in terms of what... Tywin would act strategically, but he would keep House Lannister first. Right, but I guess the question would be, like, where do you, Tyrion's loyalties lie? Like, mm. what is House Lannister for Tyrion in this sense, you know? Like, if Cersei has that baby and Jaime's still alive and he's got more of a family than he had before. I don't think he... he has any loyalty to his family at this point. Right. No matter what, you know? I think that he's going to find his own thing to Man, be loyal this... to the cause. There's a lot of potential for these these sort of lessons that they're brewing in these, these especially these fourth and fifth books, to kind of come out of the surface and work out in potentially really uncomfortable ways because everyone that is working with each other right now, barring the White Walkers and depending on how you feel about Cersei, they're kind of like together, but it's sort of looking like it's going to have to be split. Well, and especially if we look at dragons true and false, bright and dark, 
Targaryen versus Blackfire type of stuff. Oh, and if they changed that for John and Danny to keep it simple, mm-hmm. they wouldn't do that. I don't know. I don't know, but I do think that this hmm. line very heavy-handedly points towards Blackfire stuff that's happening. And whatever that means and whatever, I feel like there can be lots of interpretations from this specifically and kind of depending on how you feel about Aegon and all that kind of stuff. Mostly involving Illyrio. Yeah, you know, how you feel about any of that kind of stuff can be interpreted a lot of different ways, but I do think that it should be interpreted because I think that it is pointing us in that direction. How about Tyrion having it together in this chapter, though, and staying above ship during the storm and staring out at the sea and feeling small and not falling prey to the same kind of temptations that I think he would have been more familiar with in the past. It just kind of just rolled off him like it wasn't something he even considered, but he sort of saw a lot of things as a shadow of his his past self. And then when he went below deck and just George put that tiny moment of him seeing Sir Jorah, you know, sleeping in his own drunkenness (laughs) below ship. It's like he was even better than Jorah at that second. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy. I was so happy for Tyrion at that moment. I can just imagine him up on the ship being cleansed. That's different for him, you know. Mm-hmm. It really is. So, what will he do with this newfound power? I don't know. I don't even know if he even knows he has it. I feel like he's learning that he enjoys people for better reasons now. Well, and I think he's able to kind of have. I think that this interaction with Penny is one that is. Well, two thoughts. Number one, him sleeping and being unconscious is leading, he's realizing that that's leading him towards a very dark place because he makes reference quite often to every time he closes his eyes, it's a stony king with his father's face. And um, in his dreams, bad things happen. So I think that that awareness of starting to kind of come out of this stupor that he's been in for chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters. But I mean, he's not quite out of it because he does contemplate committing suicide this isn't at a the first point in this chapter, and this isn't the first time. But also being able to relate to someone like Penny, Penny kind of really gives it to him. And we've talked about this a little bit, talking about the night of Joffrey's wedding, and and I was highlighting like a crazy person everything she was talking about because um, she really just basically tells him that all of this is his fault and and Tyrion's like I don't even know you <laughs> so where did you come from but it's a it's it's a lot for Tyrion to kind of face somebody who as you were saying before why didn't he and as Penny was saying why didn't he just go up listen to Joffrey play along and just he, Penny makes some reference to the fact that making people laugh is a noble cause why couldn't he have just gone along with it yeah her brother said that that was a sweet mm-hmm. line I did think that was a sweet line. I think it's interesting for Tyrion, who has almost no experience interacting with somebody who's just like him. They go on this long thing about how Tyrion, any dwarf that's in his area is sent away, or they're too afraid to come there because of Tywin. He doesn't have any interaction with people who have grown up with the same similar type of pressure and taunting and terrible people just making fun of them all the time, which is so him to be able to relate to somebody, I think, is an important moment in terms of him like having empathy and really understanding his position because someone like Penny is what Tyrion could have been, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. almost, or mm-hmm. what a different life that Tyrion could have led if he hadn't been born a Lannister. Um, and I think it's 
good for him to kind of hear his story from somebody else's perspective, even if it hurts. Definitely. So that's why he has to ride the storm out on the deck, getting soaked, but loving We've it. We've all done it. We have literally I like this. all done Cold it. is my God. <laughs> I, I feel like this conversation with Penny helped Tyrion realize something about himself, which is that I, I think what he really does enjoy the most, and we can pull little clues from the kinds of conversations he has with people that he likes and the way he wields a certain kind of power with people that he doesn't like. I think it's humor. I think he likes to make people laugh. I think he genuinely likes to make people feel good. And I believe that so much of his course has been, I guess, sailed, I can't think of a better word, uh, steered off course because he was born a dwarf and because he was born Tywin Lannister's son and because mm-hmm. he was born Cersei's sister and and Jamie's his big brother. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's had a lot to live up to and a lot to become to gain the attention and acceptance of people around him. But around Penny, he's able to sort of disengage from that a little bit while, like you said, relating to her so much. And then when she mentions the comedy, I feel like he realizes it almost in the same way that we're supposed to realize it. And if that was the point that George was trying to get across, that's the way I felt when I read it. And I was like, ah, that makes so much sense. So what now, Tyrion? And it's kind of him continuing on this path of owning up to who he is and what he's done and the decisions he's made. Right. And the repercussions that that has that that those have had. I can't talk at all today. It's fine. But I did want to read a passage from this because Penny calls him out, as we said, and basically says, you're the reason why my brother's dead, which he is, I mean, in a way. And this other dwarf that they knew was killed because, and head was sent to Cersei because they thought it could potentially be Tyrion or that they could get the reward for it. It's like which, an insurance kill. It was like, just in case this guy is tearing, we're going to mail this one instead of bringing it. Yeah. He says, and this is a really interesting passage and it's a little bit long, but I want to read it. She says, Penny says, he died for you. His blood is on your hands. And it says, the accusation stung coming so hard on the heels of Jorah Mormont's words. His blood is on my sister's hands and on the hands of the brutes who killed him. My hands, dot, dot, dot. Tyrion turned them over, inspected them, coiled them into fists. My hands are crusted with old blood. Call me Kinslayer, you won't be wrong. Kingslayer, I'll answer to that one as well. I have killed mothers, fathers, nephews, lovers, men and women, kings and whores. A singer once annoyed me, so I had the bastard stewed. But I have never killed a juggler nor a dwarf, and I am not to blame for what happened to your brother. Then she threw wine in his face. (laughs) She threw wine in his face. He's like, ah, just like my sister. Mm. But you know him... I think that sometimes there may be a question of why he refers to himself as a Kingslayer and kind of is leaning into this idea that he killed Joffrey, even if it wasn't his fault. But I I still see this as like, I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life that you can call me out for and you can tell me I'm wrong here, here and here. But don't don't put that on my head. And, you know, I don't know if his argument is right. I don't know necessarily quote-unquote who's right or wrong in this situation like is he responsible for that in some big theoretical philosophical way i don't know but he's like i'll own up to all these terrible things but you know don't put stuff that i didn't have anything to do with put that on cersei's head not mine i just thought that that's like very self-aware one of our listeners nicole henry sent an email with an own and it made me think of what you were just talking about let's just go ahead and read it 
my own goes to the author himself, George R. R. Martin. We're breaking the show right now for the irony <laughs> in Tyrion vehemently hating Penny and her brother Grote's stage names. He looks down on them for choosing the smallest and most worthless coins and seems to think that they falsely internalize others' negative perceptions of them as dwarfs. That's rich. Bad dad joke. Coming from a man who used to recognize the value of his own wit and was once too proud to champion Joffrey during the siblings' reactment of the War of the Five Kings but now sees himself prominently as a mar- murderous monster and his life as merely pathetic. Hashtag he was kind. Hashtag he was smart. Hashtag he was important. Listen to Makoro. I think that's a really good point. I think that that's a good way of also saying what I was trying to say, which is, or as we've been saying, which is Tyrion very much looks down on Penny, but he sees herself in them, but he also has done a lot of awful things. It's so like coming to terms with kind of all of this Penny may have been, in his eyes, embarrassing herself, but Penny mm-hmm. doesn't see that as embarrassment, as we said with what her brother said. Penny doesn't. Penny sees that what she does is something worthwhile or something that, I mean, it doesn't seem to me like she's had a completely miserable existence other than when Tyrion kind of meddled with everything that mm-hmm. she was trying to do. Yeah, he was like, you can't play that way. That's not the way to do it. And so his response to the situation was just at a level where he didn't consider them or what was going on, right? Even though he's the kind of person that I guess would, but didn't. So maybe he isn't. Right. So was it their fault or was it Tyrion's fault? Maybe before Tyrion would have thought, you're humiliating yourself. That's completely on you. But I don't I don't, I don't think he really feels that way anymore. I don't think so either. I think it just kind of, this is almost a feast for crows moment because we get to see the um, repercussions of someone like Tyrion or in the Lannisters, we get to see those repercussions out in the quote unquote real world with someone like Penny, whose life has been turned upside down based off of a couple decisions made by people who live very differently than she and her brother do, and how that has changed her entire existence, which I think we see a lot in A Feast for Crows. But they have this big conversation and then they become friends, which I think is great. Can we learn about the name of the ship now? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, I just feel like this is something worth pointing out. So there's a moment where, do I have to say the ship name again? Yeah, I was going to wonder what's the ship you're talking about. (laughs) I was like, which one is it? The Celesori Koran. That sounds pretty good. I think that's what it is. All right. Cool. All right. That's the best one I've heard so far. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It means, based on conversations here, it means it means fragrance. Blah, blah. It oh, means smelly. <laughs> Sorry. It means fragrant steward, <laughs> which Tyrion then starts calling the stinky steward. LOL. Some really great. He puts it in italics as well. Like George totally buys into it. Yeah, he would. Although it, George wrote it. Keep in mind, Tyrion didn't con him into doing that. Although I don't know. It, it may be characters that way. Write themselves. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, great joke. Butchering this. But this is something that people, which I I always, I feel like when I set up theories, I always just like refer to the other people. So I'm not responsible (laughs) for any of it. But conversations about Quaith when there's that vision or visit where it says glass candles are burning, soon comes the pale mare and after her, the others, you know, this very famous thing that we all know about. And at the very end of it, it says, beware of the perfumed sensual. And perfumed sensual can also translate, and you can mix that around to mean 
Stinky Steward, Fragrant Steward, Salisori Quran. Like maybe it almost literally means that. So maybe something to do with the ship. I don't know if this is a very strong argument, but something to do or someone on the ship could be part of this beware or this warning um, to Danny since they're kind of headed that way. So beware I just thought that that was interesting. Sinichal. Jeez. So is it beware Tyrion? Well, then it would also be where Jorah, and he has yeah. nothing but good in mind for her, so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's more weight to this than there would be for somebody like Varys or somebody. You're just you know? saying that because he smells good. <laughs> no, people, I mean, that's like, yeah, though. Think, I, I think about how many people in that Miranese pyramid she's living in that are just covered in perfume. I know, but George R. R. Martin is not going to, like, George R. R. Martin is a smart guy, and he's pointing out specifically for some people that are more perfumed than others. Illyrio's got a lot of perfume, too. So maybe. I just feel like somebody like Varys is probably better to fit into this prophecy than somebody like We like, like your Tyrion. theory, Hannah. We really like it. It's interesting. It's not my theory at all. It's your theory. I'm, we really like it. <laughs> it's not my theory at all. I'm not going to take credit for somebody <laughs> smarter than me. But I just thought it was a very interesting thing to point out of, you know, maybe this is, we're supposed to be reading into this as they're headed towards Daenerys's way that this could be what she had been warned about at some point in time, which was a cool play on words, I thought. That's really cool. How did you find that? Oh, you know, I just spent all my time on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> right <So>. on. <laughs> okay, so there's another interesting thing, and that could mean anything. It could be existential, it could be literal about one of them or about everyone that's on that ship. It's just a cool play on words. Near the end of the chapter. The ship continues to travel. We get closer and closer to Valyria, which is very cool. Closer than the crew would like, Morico says. And then the chapter ends on one last prophecy, which I feel like you should read. You Just the last paragraph is what you want me to read? Read the, have you seen these others in your fires? Mm. At the end of the chapter, they're talking about the fact that they're speeding up the process a little bit, which is why they're so close to Valyria, and Mm -hmm. how other people are seeking Daenerys, and other people are coming. And so that's why they need to speed up the process. And Tyrion thinks about Griff, Golden Company, all this stuff, but he doesn't say anything. But all of these things are starting to come together. And so he asks Morco to... Blank. Got it. Have you seen these others in your fires? He asked warily. Only their shadows, Makoro said. One most of all. A tall and twisted thing with one black eye and ten long arms sailing on a sea of blood. Who could it be? You're on Greyjoy. Yeah. It seems like that's the pretty obvious answer. I don't know where he has ten long arms, but maybe that means some of his ships. It's like a sigil. His house. Well, I guess it's not his. Oh, right. But like Greyjoy. Right. That makes sense. That's what I thought. Or That yeah. makes sense different ships sailing on i don't know but this last line just got me really hyped up sailing on a sea of blood good god so crazy that's a visual also you know hmm. what else that made me think of hmm. how i will forever hate myself <laughs> for <laughs> being in love with euron for 10 minutes this season because <laughs> i feel like <laughs> that's gonna haunt all of us <laughs> yeah it's probably gonna haunt you the most yeah we'll see those like winds <laughs> only of winter shadow <laughs> And I'm like, man, I can't believe that happened to me. It didn't happen just to me, though, but I'm just saying. That's so, true. Anyway, such cool year on Greyjoy foreshadowing here. And if you've read 
the uh, sample chapters for Winds of Winter. Um, it's just all very exciting. What do you think about this? Do you think that Makoro actually saw this in the flame and he's casually mentioning it to Tyrion? Or do you think that he's one of... He's one of Euron's droogs that he made friends with on some of his sailing stuff. And you know what I mean? He's <laughs> he's just spreading some of the gospel early. Oh, Maybe I don't know. he's working with some of the Red Priest people. I, I mean, talk about their, their faith so rudimentary. I really feel like we need just a good name for them, you know? Yeah. The Red Folks. <laughs> the Red Faith. I was going to say, I feel like they've already kind of named themselves followers of the Red God. I don't know. I don't know. That's a mouthful. I don't know. I mean, there there may be everywhere. I don't know. I think it goes back to the beginning of the chapter when we were talking about Melisandre and this entire faith. Is any of this real? I don't know, but I like it. Yeah, he says some good stuff in this chapter. I guess that's what it would hinge on, right? If it's all made up, which I don't know. Okay, let's throw that out of the window for this part of it. Do you think that he could be working with Euron? No. No? Okay. I don't. Yeah. Do you think he Well, he, he seems is? to really know how to describe him other than that (laughs) it's probably pretty magical other than that theory doesn't really hold up a lot of time passing in this chapter maybe not actually passing during points of conversation but when you see the coast of Lyria and we're reminded of those tales and we're reminded of all that they had and all that they lost because of how they reached their height it puts an ominous tone over this chapter and also on Jamie's chapter. It really does. It really, really does. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. You can try books like A Song of Ice and Fire, which is perfect for this audience, obviously. You can download those books and listen to the reading order while you're doing other things. Audible is the perfect service for discovering audiobooks online, and it is perfect for listening alongside our podcast because you can pause our episode and flip to the next screen and turn on Mm -hmm. the audiobook and listen along with us. Exactly. You can stay up to date. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, shout out, you can get through <laughs> tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices so you pick up exactly where you left off. You can start a 30-day trial today and get your first audiobook free on us. Just go to audible.com slash owns or text OWNS to 500 500 that's audible.com slash owns or text owns to 500-500 for a 30-day free trial and free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Jamie. Jamie's also dealing with some inner turmoil as other stuff is going on around him. I felt like this entire chapter was just gossip and battle logistics. But then Ellen Payne, and that was awesome. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes that yes. was okay. awesome. Um, again, not to reference Rewatch the Throne, but as we see in the show, Jamie is fighting with Braun, which is kind <laughs> of funny. Like, there's some funny back and forth about that. But I just love this image of Jamie and Ellen Payne, which you talked about last chapter with him. But it's just so cool. This one was 
dark, though, man. Yeah, it was. When he, should we just talk about it right now? Yeah. I want to talk about it with you. What did you think about Ilan Payne and Jamie not, you know, really speaking up to him about it? Maybe like a typical Lannister would. He just took it and maybe realizes it as part of this whole thing. Maybe something that he deserves. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I don't know if he thinks that he deserves it, but he wants to get better. I think he, he genuinely wants to get better. I mean, him being able to fight is so much of who he is. I think that he wants to get better and he knows that Ilan Payne's the best shot he's got. And so he thinks a lot of things in his head. But yeah, he's not he's not quipping back and forth with Ilan. Well, not back and forth because he can't say anything. But um, I think he just really wants to get better. So he's going to take it. Just that moment Ellen took his blunted sword blade and traced it up his neck and left it at the point of his lips and then pulled it away. It was just, there's a lot of small folk, maybe not small folk. There's a lot of not being the royal family, maybe being considered like small folk class of people. I feel like that got through in that moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Or maybe even just seeing him grow up or maybe just, I don't know, not not liking his father or how everything is. There's so many things that Ellen Payne has to be completely not pleased with in his life. I was going to say, it's like, well, how do you feel, you know, in a situation? Mm -hmm. I guess it's good that that's all that happened and that's all that continues to happen. They still have this hold over this guy. He's still their soldier. The second Jamie wants to go practice, he's like, let's go. It says... It was there they danced their midnight dance amongst blackened stones and old, cold cinders. It was really cool. It's awesome. If you're going to read a part, then I want to read a part. Okay. It was as if Sir Illyn heard his thoughts. This is right after Jamie was thinking, man, you know, this practicing is doing all right. I'm actually doing all right at this. Illyn tonight, might be the tonight, one. Tonight, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to take him down. Yeah. It was as if Sir Illyn heard his thoughts. He parried Jamie's last cut lazily and launched a <laughs> counterattack that drove Jamie back into the river, where his boots slipped out from under him in the mud. He ended on his knees, with the silent knight's sword at his throat and his own lost in the reeds. In the moonlight, the pockmarks on Payne's face were large as craters. <laughs> he made that clacking sound that might have been a laugh and drew his sword up Jamie's throat till the point came to rest between his lips. Only then did he step back and sheathe his steel. Man, it's like the moon is shining and it's dark and you hear his clacking sound. Man. And it's that face from that picture we like to put online sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember that. Yep. That's no, Ellen Payne. It's good. This Some of these interactions are becoming some of my favorite that Jamie has. And Jamie was like, "It's well, at least I still have two legs. He was thinking that to himself and immediately made me think of Bran. Oh. And I was just like, that was a cut across time there yeah interesting i didn't think about that at all do you think it means anything or it's just like a little nod i think it helps me see connection between jamie losing his hand and bran losing his legs and maybe there being some poetic justice there for jamie losing that mm-hmm. which is what made him who he was and maybe brandon stark would have been some kind of i don't know athletic knight in a different way. Right, like both of those being catalysts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Just an interesting thought. Well, I felt like we kind of are talking about this a little bit with Ilan Payne and Jamie not cussing him out the whole time. 
basically, mm-hmm. that there was a lot of his, we see a lot of him doing things differently in this chapter than I think he may have done before. And he recalls other times that he'd been to River Run and and how things have been in the past and the way he has a lot of empathy towards his aunt and uncle when he so his aunt and uncle kind of ask him basically what happened with Cleos and tell us about his death and how did he die and and Jamie gives him he lies like crazy he scattered him all the outlaws at once yeah he lies and he makes him sound so much more triumphant or that he took so much more time to bury him or that he he just gives them basically the story that they want. And I don't think that that's a selfish thing that Jamie's done. I don't think we're supposed to read into it as something being selfish, but he was just being really sympathetic. Like he was trying to do a kindness for them that did nothing for him. And I just thought that that was really interesting because I think that that's a huge character growth for him. Especially being surrounded by his cousin and the other Lannisters who have no problem with speaking about how much they don't like the phrase. Exactly. And we know how much Jamie did not like Cleo's Frey in the first place when he was traveling with them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So he he could have just brushed it off, but he kind of sits down and he goes through this whole thing. And I just thought that that was a a big moment for Jamie, even if it seems kind of small. Maybe old Jamie would have been like, he was running. Yeah. <laughs> he did not stand proudly and he didn't scatter anyone. He's to blame for a lot of horrible things. Or maybe would have made a joke about it or something, you know? Right. And he's got Cersei, these ideas of Cersei in his the back of his head, and he's thinking about her, and, you know, this isn't something that she would have done um, as he's thinks oh. of her. So <laughs> I just thought it was a smaller moment, but one that played into this character growth of Jamie. What did you think about his cousin, the new Warden of the West? Um... I don't know what I think about him. I He just seems kind of like a weird guy. Like, he just kind of seems like a guy, you know? I loved right. how he was asking all these um, different questions. And, like, as I was saying, a lot of gossip in this chapter, he's, like, saying all these rumors about how Jamie got his hand chopped off and making all these jokes about if Jamie had died, you know, did you weep tears for me? And he's, like, half of Lannisport was mourning the female yeah. half. Just kind of funny stuff like that. I just... I don't know. I just thought he was a guy. I don't know if you, what did you think about him? I thought Jamie definitely felt comfortable with him. He made that one comment about his hand made of gold. And he said, there's much to be said for being one handed. I drink less wine for fear of spilling and I'm seldom inclined to scratch my arse (laughs) at court. Yeah. There's like a familial comfort between them. Right. Rather than being, you know, feeling small because he isn't, his cousin is not going to regard him in the same way as he used to, where he'd be afraid that Jamie could slay him within an inch of his life in a second. Now their dynamics a little different while there still is a lot of respect there. And Jamie doesn't make it weird. He just goes along with it and he's easygoing. And I think that it helps to feel normalized around these Lannister people because we spend so much time around families that demonize them. And we see the way they talk about the phrase. And it's, we're like, oh, yeah, I totally can relate with how you feel about the phrase. But then we learn a little bit more about his aunt. And I know we'll get to that conversation in a bit. But how casually she talks about murdering someone. 
and about how tactfully her family plays the game. It's like, yeah, they're they're interesting and they're they're sort of imperialistic almost these Lannister people with how they're getting all the brackens and the Blackwoods and they're they're playing chess with everyone's feelings and now the Tywin's gone, it's all up in the air, but I felt like it was a little bit normalized in some of these interactions and it, yeah. it felt a lot more like they were real people. Yeah, no, totally. I thought that that was really really interesting and I thought that that was the strength of this chapter. And I thought it was interesting to get so they there's quite a bit of conversation about Kevin being this great leader and oh this should have gone to Kevin or he was such a great guy blah 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 which is the opposite of everything Tyrion thinks about the guy which I think is interesting and we get a lot of humanization of someone like Tywin where Gemma talks about Tywin smiling when Jamie was born and all this different kind of stuff kind of seeing that was nice kind of seeing him (laughs) as a human and i thought that was really sweet it was it was really interesting but they're bad guys at the same time yeah yeah (laughs) you know it's it's interesting to kind of have family talk about their brothers and sisters and cousins and make fun of lancel and his decision to be part of the faith militant no isn't that guy crazy and oh do you remember that one time when tywin you know laughed about this or blah 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 i just i thought it was <laughs> such a funny thing that that's a story remember that one time tywin smiled about that thing but it was like a fun family reunion catch-up yeah you know which i think that i just really liked it i just thought it was an interesting perspective on what is happening with the lannisters yeah it feels all nice and fun you've got the camp resting a bit from the respite of the War of the Five Kings. They're stationed outside of River Run, and it could be a very long siege. And so, in the meantime, why not relax a little bit? Remember before Jamie went to go train with Illyn, he was walking around the camps, and it was just really nice how we got this stretch of a paragraph where Jamie wasn't riddled with thoughts of who Cersei might be having sex with behind his back. Mm-hmm. And he... George wrote Jamie in a way where I think there was a line that says something like he honestly liked this. Yeah, he said he straight up says Jamie liked his life. It says he he felt more comfortable in this situation he's in with the men and the tents and just kind of outside the siege than anywhere else really. He doesn't like being in court. This is his element. He's in his element. And he's he's sharing hairs, which are fancy rabbits, with his men and it's all good Mm -hmm. he's it's fine he's doing what he does best he's coming in he's kind of figuring out what they need to be doing what's wrong he says he was beginning to grasp why river run had not yet fallen um you know gathering all this information catching up with family looking at Edmure standing there outside River Run all day, every day, which was such a terrible... Yeah, let's just ignore terrible... the fact that we might be murdering him in front of his family before his child gets born. And all the Lannisters are telling jokes. There was that awesome joke by Devin where... And it's, it's not awesome because it's fair. It's awesome because he is... It took me unawares. I had to go back because I was taking a highlighted note. Uh, I was like, this is a... Uh, interesting thing he seems to be so surprised by the fact that lancel was left and went to go work for the faith militant for the high septon so this must be important and but there's that there was the end of the page and then i turned the page and i i saw the remainder of it and it was him putting it on gatehouse amy 
Lancel's wife, he's like, I had no idea that Gatehouse Amy could drive a boy to that. Oh, yeah. And so everyone, look at him. It's like kind of like a dollar a set thing at someone else's expense. But, you know, we, we like all these great jokes in the light of what's happening. It's family and gossip. A Song of Ice and Fire, yeah. There's a lot of bad stuff. White Walkers are coming. But look at this nice little moment. It's kind of like the the stuff that we like from the series a lot when it takes a moment to give us a little bit of levity and a little bit of character development mm-hmm. in an abstract way like it was here in a way that we didn't normally that we don't normally get with Jamie. And he's walking by the, the shallow water and you've got people. Uh, you've got these these ladies that are half naked and they're on top of these guys shoulders and everyone's splashing around having fun. And then it mentions that Raph the Sweetling is among them. And it just killed a lot of the fun for me because you remember that guy. And remember the kind of stuff that he did with the Brave Companions. And maybe you remember a little bit about what the Lannisters as a group have done. And it, again, just puts an ominous tone all over all this stuff. As I mentioned, Ed Muir is standing outside with a noose around its neck day Mm -hmm. in and day out Mm -hmm. as kind of a reminder to what actually is going on in this situation. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, within the camp, there is this this lightness about everything, and um, but it's not light. <laughs> it's but like, it's not. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Something I thought that that was interesting from all these conversations is that the rest of Jamie's family also thinks that what Cersei did with rearming the Faith Militant mm-hmm. was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was a wild thing to do, and uh, at some point in in the conversation. I need to... Oh, here it is. Lady Genna goes on and on and on. Jenna, Genna, whatever. Lady Lady Genna goes on and on and on. Jamie's like, I'm certain she has reasons. And she goes on for a paragraph about all the history as to why this is a terrible idea. Just rattling it all off. And Jamie goes, I'd forgotten most of that. She says, you and your sister both. She took another swallow of the wine all of her wine it's a very it's like hey by the way everyone if you haven't picked up all the clues from a feast for crow or from the rest of the books it wasn't a good thing that's why it's kind of nice to have characters confirming what you're thinking as well in such a hilarious way right exactly we had such a big conversation about it when it was happening like why would you make such a stupid decision and to have somebody in her family say the same thing of why would she make such a stupid decision uh i just thought was really cool it certainly juxtaposes so much of the grandeur that we relate to and talk about on this podcast or in the story the way that it presents itself a lot of these truths seem very poetic to some of these characters and then someone like your older aunt is like "Uh, listen i know how all this has been going on for a long time and also we know that cersei's just over there dealing with stuff because technically we can't but we're all older and we've been around we've seen this happen before and we know like what you're doing you know what i mean it's just so fascinating do you remember the first time you were old enough to have your aunts and uncles start talking family gossip with you like yesterday (laughs) but you know what i mean like that's all i could think about this whole time is jamie who's somebody who doesn't really have parental figures it's cool to have him have a conversation with somebody who's so intimately entrenched into his life to not even necessarily give him advice because I don't know that's not really what the tone of the conversation is I mean maybe a little bit when he talk when she talks about um Tywin and and being like Tyrion and I mean she you can't help but give a little bit of advice in this type of situation but just that familiarity I think is something that 
is really nice for someone like Jamie because when we see him interact with his family for the most part, it's someone like Cersei and there's a lot of hatred and lust and anger and complicated feelings there or Tyrion or his dad. You know, there's there's a lot of complications with the family members he spends most of his time with. And so I really liked the opportunity to kind of talk with somebody who knows him and his situation and, and who he is without there being in my mind and from my read real strings attached, you know? So maybe if we visit our families more, we would all learn some stuff. So next time you're at family dinner, just start asking questions. And just bring a tankard of wine or a flagon of wine with you. Mm-hmm. It needs to be at least a flagon though. At and least. a flagon is not a typical wine bottle size. I feel like when you arrive with a bottle of wine or two or one, it's like, okay, I understand. But when you have a flagon of wine. <laughs> this is the tone we're setting for tonight. <laughs> right. Things might change. How about when his aunt was talking about some queer tales have been reaching us of late. A woman hardly knows what to believe. Can it be true that Tyrion slew Tywin? Or is it? Oh, you already mentioned that. No, I, I didn't mention that specifically. So there's question there. That, or at least it's clear that someone that we respect based off of how she's been going so far in this conversation sort of doesn't believe that it could be Tyrion that killed his dad. Yeah. What is, what's your read on the way Jenna talks about Tyrion? That was the cliffhanger ending of the chapter. Let me find it. This is after she's telling Jamie about Tywin which I want to come back to. Jamie reassures her, he left a son. And she's like, aye, he did. That is what I fear the most in truth. That was a queer remark. He doesn't say that. And, but then he actually says, why should you fear? He's like, I'm going to fish real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, she said, tugging on his ear. Sweetling, I have known you since you were a babe at Joanna's breast. You smile like Garion and fight like Tig. And there's some of Kevin in you, else you would not wear that cloak. But Tyrion is Tywin's son, not you. I said so once to your father's face, and he would not speak to me for half a year. Ouch. <laughs> Men are such thundering great fools, even the sort who come along once in a thousand years. This is kind of what we were talking about, or we alluded to and referenced a bunch in Tyrion's chapter. But to have Tywin's offspring be the person to be most like him ending up to be Tyrion, I think would be the biggest insult to Tywin, which is very evident based off of his reaction when he's told that. But um, as they talk, Ty- I mean, they say here, the sort of man who comes along once in a thousand years is Tywin. They talk him up quite a bit to compare Tyrion to him. I mean, I would think that that's a big compliment, but then she says, talks about fearing it a little bit. And so I don't 100% know what to make make of that. Like, which direction her fear's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is she afraid because Tyrion is a smart guy? I mean, that does she understand maybe where he's gone wrong? Is she afraid because he could possibly wield power? Is she afraid? She's not afraid of him the way, like, Cersei's afraid of him. But I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting, interesting comment as to what that means. And I didn't know what your thoughts were on that. She has seen the way he's been treated throughout his life by his father and potentially by his own family, potentially by his community that's built around his family. She could be afraid that when he returns, if he returns, it will be with vengeance. Mm. And maybe she doesn't 
fear for herself personally. She does talk so much about the family and about who's marrying who and about how it makes sense. Maybe she, like Tywin, really cares so much about the family. Yeah, I could see that. She's married to Emin Frey. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I think that she's all right with taking some personal allowances in order to play the Game of Thrones the way that she wants to play it, it seems. Right, right. So if we if we trust her, and she has been speaking a lot of truth, some hard truths, then there would be a reason to fear Tyrion coming back on behalf of House Lannister, mm-hmm. at least right now. Which I think is, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good read. What do you think Jamie said after that? I wish we could have saw that. I know. I, well, Jamie, Jamie doesn't need as much approval or never needed as much approval from his dad as somebody like Cersei did. So I can imagine that Cersei hearing that would have burned everything to the ground. But yeah, I would be interested to kind of. That's a good point. Is he gonna is he gonna laugh about that, or is he just gonna kind of shrug his shoulders and be like, okay, you know, he t- Jamie doesn't hate laugh and internalize it. Yeah, Jamie doesn't hate Tyrion as much as other people do. I mean, he has a complicated relationship with him, but I don't think he hates him. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what his response to that would have been. I think he's so relaxed and so thinking about other things he's sure relaxed about his meeting with the blackfish yeah that's yeah he just is so and Kenneth's like jenna's like can you just this isn't that great of an idea like you think you're just gonna be able to roll up there and talk to him we've already tried jamie's like yeah no i'm i'm just gonna have a conversation in the morning it's not that big of a deal I love that reflection he had back to the time when he met Blackfish and when he visited River Run and was sat beside Lysa Aaron for that that week or so that he was there. Mm-hmm. And he, how he thought, he was like, the older sister was more interesting, but the only person he could think of was Brendan and the kind of person he was. And how do I become a guy like this? And so here's his moment. He gets to walk out and try to treat with this guy. It's pretty cool. I like when he says, he says, uh, but at that age, no girl interested Jamie half as much as his, as Hoster's famous, Hoster's famous brother, blah, 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 pressing at the table. He had ignored poor Lysa while pressing Brendan Tully for tales. That's what you got to do, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine like a little boy at that age, wanting, dreaming, wishing to become a knight and having this legend of a man be sitting across from you. That's cool. Mm hmm. And Jamie's realization after that I thought was pretty interesting when he was like, I'm sure that Blackfish was younger than he was now, or younger than I am now when that happened. And he sort of realized his place in the story and about how, like, I think there was a bit of a, he kind of gave up a little bit where he just resolved himself to looking around. And he's like, yeah, I realized that not a lot is going on here. And I understand why. The siege has not been a success. We've got two warring parties about how to handle it while Blackfish is in there. And he's that guy, mm-hmm. that guy that I wanted to talk to because he's a heroic person. And until these people resolve themselves and come up with a conclusion that you can actually present to this guy that he won't laugh at, no no, no threats or, or waiting is going to work. He's like already planned for it for two years. They've got... Two years of provisions to wait you guys out, which I know isn't forever, but you've got teams of people. You've got Lannister troops. You've got Freymen who are bringing provisions back and forth from the twins, all because this guy planned a little bit better than you did. Mm-hmm. Jamie's like, I 
I see what the problem is here, and it's the people. And maybe I can just ride through there and fix it. And maybe this will be over soon, and I can get back to what matters, which is at least the stuff at King's Landing, when maybe he looks around and he doesn't sort of give up on his conversations, or he isn't bothered by things like Raft the Sweetling being around either. Or Beric Dondarrion creeping mm-hmm. in the woods. Right. You've got the Lightning Lord and all of his outlaw friends. People are seeing night fires in the sky. They're like, we're surrounded by outlaws in the woods. And it's like, oh, you've got Catelyn Stark, undead Catelyn Stark, and a bunch of wolves, too. Yeah. You don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good luck, Jamie. Good luck, Jamie Lannister. But he's strutting around. He's loving it a little bit, right? Even in those, even like... Even as you're talking about him kind of understanding what his place is, I I don't think he necessarily takes that negatively. I don't think so either. I think he knows what it is and he sees things for what they are. And he's like, I just need to play my part in this. And and maybe he'll carry some of that familial knowledge into some of his exchanges later. But we don't really know that yet. Well, there you have it. Jamie and Tyrion, two brothers. Two chapters. <laughs> Out on the open road, just doing the best they can. I already know exactly what my Jamie own is going to be, but I'm not 100% sure what my Tyrion own is going to be. So we should probably start with Tyrion. Tyrion. uh, Honorable own to Jorah Mormont for vomiting all over himself and sleeping in it. Poor guy. And my own goes to Makoro and his crazy staff. I was going to give it to Penny, but I feel like Makoro's staff was the standout. That's good. That's good. That's, I feel like, underrated, underrated moment in this chapter. It was just like, boom, I understand why you follow him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to give my own to Makoro tangentially. Mm. I'm going to give my own to Makoro's guards that Tyrion calls them the fingers. Jeez. They were men of the fiery hand, after all, and there were five of them. So cool. And he laughed at that, a sweet sound, though not one he had heard often, yada, yada, yada. But Tyrion calling his guards the fingers, I thought was very funny. How cool were his guards flanking him at all times on yeah, the ship? Yeah, his guards were very cool. Just, you know, the fiery hand. That's a lot of swag. All right, and for Jamie's chapter... Um, my own goes to Edmund Roslin and talking about how he was betting her during the Red Wedding. Yeah. Because everybody's just like, I know that they left at that point, but the idea that all this horror was happening and uh, Roslin was getting pregnant is a little bit funny to me. So <laughs> own to Edmure. Yeah, that's just for the potential there. I'm glad they didn't like cut to it in the show. That would have definitely changed it a little that bit. Would have cha- that would have really <laughs> taken the mood Everyone would to have been a different like, level. Of course you would. Yeah, classic. Anyways, classic. get it, Edmure. My own goes to Lord Emin Frey for marrying one of the coolest chicks in the realm so far. She's a nice lady. And also for no one who feeds the doggies. He's like, hey, I don't even like the phrase that much. He's like, Walter Frey, <laughs> he's my dad, but I don't really like him that much. The Lannisters are my kind of people. Did you hear that, Jamie? I said they're my kind of people. Yeah, I'll wait outside. No big deal. He just carries <laughs> his decree <laughs> with him. He like has literally the decree. Kind of reminds me of Brienne a little bit, but like she needs it. All right. You don't need it, guy. You're just walking around and holding it in people's faces saying that it gives you power. Well, and it could literally mean nothing. You it could so Cersei easily does, mean nothing. Just rip. Yeah. 
That's good. I like that guy. <sighs> he's just an interesting cat. Yeah, he's funny. All right, so those are our owns. Now on to the best part of the episode where we get to read yours. Our first own is from, well, our first own we read earlier in the episode. So thank you to Nicole Henry for sending that email through. But our first own from Twitter is from Rune Fjar, F-J-A-E-R, who writes, Tyrion owned to Penny for her insightful lack of insight in the game of Cyvas. Flying elephants would make the battlefield so much more interesting. Imagine the king beyond the wall and his wildling army invade the north on the back of airborne mammoths. Hashtag a song of ice and fur. That would be pretty awesome. With their huge tusks. Lots of meat to survive the winter as well if they died. Just thinking. Love it. Next, we have Brienne of Tarth at Beauty Brienne who says... Penny gets my own for being a walking, weeping, drink-throwing consequence to Tyrion's actions. And Edmure gets one for drawing the absolute shortest straw, standing there, probably bored, every day, <laughs> waiting to die or not. Hashtag give him a book. Hashtag or a Game Boy. Hashtag something. Hashtag something might be one. It's like a singular moment right there. Just anything. <laughs> Jackie Burns on Twitter. This is my first ever own. Welcome. Yay. Tyrion, the human prune in the place of honor, was evidently the youngish supreme commander who looked about as formidable as a loose stool. GRM always makes Tyrion's inner monologue so snarky, painting your toes emoji. I think it's supposed to be fingers, but is it fingers? Twitter makes it weird. There's no yeah, thumb. Twitter sometimes. I guess yeah, there's no big toe either. <laughs> Twitter makes the emojis different. All right, painting your fingers. That makes more sense. I don't guess painting your toes is that snarky. Or that's no, like it's... really snarky if you're like <laughs> painting my toes. <laughs> like one leg's up. <laughs> uh, I hate it. All right. Next, we have Lewis David, who's at Lewis David Bro on Twitter, says, Own goes to my ear holes for binging over 250 episodes in under two months. Yet <laughs> still not caught up. Just wanted to give a shout out. Whenever you get to this point... <laughs> Congratulations. Right but on. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. And Hannah, you put a tweet in here. Someone tagged us in. Oh, it has nothing to do with us they whatsoever. They tagged us on accident. Mm-hmm. It's I just a, thought you would think it was funny. It's hilarious. It's a five-headed dog. Mm, no, but keep going. It's a response that Matt is what's up. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> this dude's hot. All right. Well, those are your owns. If you want Thanks. to send in owns yourself if you want to join in the conversation if you want to send us hashtags or emojis or any other thoughts or feelings you can do that in a couple different ways the best way is probably to find us on twitter at game of owns um you can also send us an email to contact at game of owns.com or you can find us on instagram at game of owns pictures of ill and pain to come we should post a picture of Ellen Payne on Instagram. Yeah, I'll post one after this. Just to set the mood. Yeah. Next on our podcast, Reek 3, John 7. Mm. I'm excited to get to another Reek chapter. He's like, you can be a Greyjoy and a Stark, Reek. Mm. And then after that, we I have Daenerys and Cersei. We're a little bit over halfway done with the reading order. Uh, no pressure, George. <laughs> Give us some more time, please. <laughs> I don't think we have to worry. <laughs> I think we're in the clear. Thanks to everyone for listening to the podcast. We I remember how awesome last episode was with Chloe. We had such a good time. That was great. We got to talk about I hope about everybody loved mist. it as much as we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and especially at this point in time, I feel like everyone is going to start to really feel the fact that we don't have a season coming up because around this time 
is when we would start. I mean, year two years ago, this is when the season would be about to start. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, this is when we're starting to get trailers and stuff like that. So I know we may be feeling like we're in a little bit of a slump from that perspective, but I'm still having a great time reading along. So hopefully this is filling the void for everybody as we go a year without a season. And we're also making episodes of Rewatch the Throne the throne regularly on Stitcher Premium. And right now we are we just finished the second episode of season four, The Line in the Rose, where Joffrey meets his untimely demise. And I feel like we picked that apart in a way that was oh, I'm I'm just having a lot of fun talking about these old episodes with you. It's a blast. I know me too. I had almost wished that we had recorded that episode after we read these chapters with Penny and those mm-hmm. conversations because yeah. I would have added something interesting but it's been fun that can be found on stitcher premium or by going to rewatchthethrone.com and of course all the old episodes of that show you can say old episodes of that show now there's 32 episodes of that podcast you can listen to wow so check that out if you'd like there's a lot of fun stuff over there all right i think that's it that's it we'll see you guys soon from house tyrell and the people of the reach your grace it is my honor to present you with this wedding cup May you and my daughter Marjorie drink deep and live long. A handsome goblet, my lord. Or shall I call you father?